The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 195 Jesus Arrested It was now the middle of the night. In and around Jerusalem, millions of people were sleeping. Walking the streets, however, holding blazing torches high, was a great number of soldiers. They were accompanied by Sadducees, Pharisees, and a multitude of Jews. Some were carrying swords or heavy rods. They were hunting for Jesus, and leading them was a man who had spent a great deal of time with Jesus personally, and who knew where he was likely to be that night. Follow me, Judas said. As the soldiers hurried out the east gate, lanterns flickering and swords clanging, Judas spoke to the captain. The Garden of Gethsemane, he said. The man I greet with a kiss is the man to take into custody. The captain ordered his fastest scouts to race ahead, spread out, and quietly surround the entire garden as soon as possible before Jesus and his men could escape in the opposite direction. He ordered his officers to ready their men to sprint in pursuit. The captain knew that if someone in the garden was watching, he would probably notice so many men coming out of the gate this late at night and would easily escape. As the group approached the Garden of Gethsemane, the captain saw an ordinary-looking Jewish man walking straight toward them. They didn't know it yet, but this was Jesus. He knew all the terrible things that were about to happen to him, but he was facing them head-on, bold, and full of faith in his father. Out of breath, Judas and the Jewish leaders caught up with the soldiers and faced Jesus and his eleven disciples, two of whom were wearing swords, but who posed no threat to the soldiers surrounding them. Who are you looking for? Jesus asked. Jesus of Nazareth, answered the captain. I am. When Jesus said these two words, all the Jews fell backward to the ground. They had just been struck by an invisible shockwave of power. Jesus had identified himself not only as Jesus of Nazareth, but as the I Am, which is one of the names of God. It comes from a word that means the God who was, who is, and who always will be. Jesus was not just a Jewish man. He was also the God of the Old Testament, the one who was the Word, the one through whom God the Father created everything. Even hundreds of human soldiers could not capture Jesus the Christ unless he willingly allowed them to do so. The men scrambled to their feet and quickly raised their weapons. Their eyes darted around the grounds, the trees, and even the sky, 
trying to detect whatever force it was that had knocked them down. Jesus asked them again, Who are you looking for? Poised with his weapon drawn, the captain stopped scanning the dark garden and looked back to the healthy, strong, yet ordinary-looking Jewish man in front of him. He realized there was something extremely unusual about him. Gradually lowering his weapon, the captain answered, Jesus of Nazareth. I have told you that I am he, Jesus said. If you are looking for me, let these men with me leave. Judas was the one who could confirm that this man was who he said he was, and not a disciple or someone else claiming to be Jesus in order to distract them. Hail, Master! Judas said, stepping forward and greeting Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. After a moment's hesitation, one of the high priest's aides, Malchus, stepped toward Jesus. Peter suddenly drew his sword and slashed at Malchus. The man fell to the ground, screaming and clutching the side of his head as blood flowed between and over his fingers. Peter had cut off his hair. Jesus was the one who was about to be arrested, tortured, and killed. Yet he was not trying to escape or resist. He told Peter to return his sword to its sheath. Everyone who uses weapons will be killed by weapons, he said. Do you not realize that I can pray right now, and my Father will instantly send me more than 60,000 angels? But I must fulfill the scriptures and do what my Father has given me to do. Jesus then showed his kindness and his closeness to God by touching Malchus's air and miraculously healing him. You are pursuing me like a search party hunting for a thief, Jesus said to the Jewish leaders and the multitude with them. I sat with you in a temple, teaching you day in and day out, but you did not arrest me then. He was pointing out that what they were doing was dishonest and even illegal. The eleven disciples looked at Judas, the powerful Jewish leaders, and the soldiers, and they became filled with fear. Rather than defending this man, who had been personally training them for over three years, they forsook Jesus and fled. The Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus, but they knew they had to make it look justified and legal. If they could convince enough of the most powerful Jewish and Roman leaders to condemn Jesus, then many of the people would assume that he must be guilty. At the very least, they could not successfully oppose his execution. But there was a problem. Jesus was not guilty. He was not guilty of anything punishable by death. In fact, he was not guilty of a single sin. In order to execute Jesus legally, the Jewish leaders had to do a lot of things that were illegal. The first step was to work together with perhaps the most powerful Jewish leader in the city, the high priest. An officer tied Jesus' hands together 
and led him toward Jerusalem. It was now past midnight. Jesus had less than a day left to live. The Jewish officers led the way, walking back into the city gate, through the streets and to a mansion. This was the home of Annas. Annas had been the high priest, but about four years prior, the Romans had taken away his office. However, many Jews continued to look to him as if he was still the high priest, so Annas still held influence among the people, including Caiaphas, who was his son-in-law. Annas questioned Jesus about his disciples and what he taught. He was trying to pressure him or trick him into saying something that seemed like heresy against the scriptures or something treasonous against the Roman government. I spoke openly to everyone, Jesus answered. I taught in public, in the synagogue, and in the temple. I have not given any secret instructions. Why are you asking me about my teachings? Ask the many people who heard me. Jesus knew that these men were trying to force him to say something they could use to incriminate him, but he insisted on his rights. If these leaders were going to convict and execute him, they would have to do it illegally. One of the officers nearby lashed out and struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. The violence against Jesus had begun. While Annas was questioning Jesus, men went throughout the darkened city streets to wake up members of the Sanhedrin, the Jews' most powerful group of government leaders. Annas then sent Jesus to the official high priest, Caiaphas, who lived nearby. Caiaphas had already decided that the best way to solve the religious and political questions surrounding Jesus' ministry was to kill him. Although the Pharisees, Sadducees, and other Jewish leaders argued over many differences, they all agreed on this issue. Jesus must be killed. At Caiaphas' mansion, chief priests, elders, and members of the Sanhedrin had gathered. This nighttime meeting was not legal. Jewish law prohibited all proceedings by night, and an accused man was never to be subjected to private or secret examination. All Sanhedrin meetings were to take place during the day. Jewish law also stated that trials should take place in a court, not someone's house. It specifically said that a sentence of death can be pronounced only so long as the Sanhedrin holds its sessions in the appointed place, and that outside the court, no sentence of death can be passed upon anyone. But the Jewish leaders were breaking all of these laws for the sake of finding a way to convict Jesus. Jesus looked at the men around him. Many of them had used bribes and family connections to receive their positions. Twelve of them were men who formerly held the position of high priest, even though scripture said that the high priest should serve in that position until he dies. 
many of the ordinary Jews knew about these men's backgrounds and did not respect some of them. They certainly were not qualified to legally try Jesus. The law also stated that relatives, friends, or enemies could not be among those who judge and condemn a man. But members of the Sanhedrin included many, many men who were open enemies of Jesus. The time, the place, and the people involved in this meeting were all illegal, and more illegal and unjust actions were to come. After fleeing from the Jews arresting Jesus, two of the disciples had followed to see what would happen to him. They were Peter and John. The two disciples went to the high priest's mansion to hear what was being said. As Peter sat down, a young female servant looked at him for a while and then said, The high priest is questioning Jesus of Nazareth. Aren't you one of that man's disciples? Peter was startled. Some of the other people nearby turned to look at him. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. After a few minutes, Peter got up and left the group to stand by a fire out on the porch where some soldiers and servants were warming themselves. Somewhere nearby in the night, a rooster crowed. Peter stood absorbed in his thoughts, wondering what would happen to Jesus, wondering how his prophecies would be fulfilled, and worried that people would recognize him and arrest him. Or worst, some of the people around the fire were saying that the Jewish leaders were bringing in witness after witness, and that Jesus was being accused of blasphemy and of treason crimes punishable by death. As the firelight illuminated his face, another young woman, who had come out to the porch, looked at him for a while, saying nothing. Peter stepped back out of the firelight a little, but the curious young woman spoke up to the other, saying, This man was also with Jesus of Nazareth. No, I was not. Peter said, strongly, swearing with an oath. After a few moments, the young woman returned into the mansion. Peter continued to warm himself and asked some of the others about what was going on inside. After about an hour had passed, one of the men standing nearby shook his head. He was a relative of the man whose heir Peter had cut off just a few hours before. You are definitely a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, he said. We can tell by your accent that you are from up in Galilee, where he is from. Whoever this man is that you're talking about, I do not know him. Peter exclaimed, cursing and swearing. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed again. Suddenly, Peter remembered how bold he had been promising to sacrifice his life for Jesus, the Son of God. He remembered that Jesus had told him that he would deny knowing him three times before the rooster crowed twice. Now, 
when it was time to stand up for Jesus, Peter was too weak and scared. He turned away from the group and walked away from the porch toward the street, weeping bitterly. Inside, the chief priests and elders and members of the Sanhedrin were rapidly interviewing one witness after another. Some of these witnesses did not like what Jesus taught. Some had been paid to lie about him. But even though many witnesses came forward, when each was asked further questions about what he had seen or heard Jesus do, their answers were different from one another. This revealed that they were lying. Finally, two witnesses said something similar to each other. They both testified that Jesus had said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Early in Jesus' ministry, when he first threw businessmen and livestock out of the temple, he had said that if his enemies destroyed the temple, he would raise it up in three days. But Jesus had been speaking in coded language. He did not say that he would destroy the temple, but that his enemies would. And when he said temple, he was actually talking not about the temple building that they were standing in, but about his own body. Now these witnesses were twisting his statement for the very purpose of condemning him and destroying his body. Jesus said nothing. The statements of all these false witnesses, especially the last two, said it all. The high priest stood up, and the room grew silent. Are you not going to give an answer? Caiaphas demanded. Jesus still said nothing. I demand by the living God that you tell us whether or not you are the Christ, the Son of God. Caiaphas commanded. You have said it, Jesus answered. I am, and hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The high priest ripped his robe in a great display of anger. He has spoken blasphemy, he shouted. We don't need any more witnesses. You yourselves have heard him blaspheme. What say you? The other Jewish leaders responded unanimously. He is, he is guilty, guilty of, of death. death. The penalty for blasphemy against God was death. But Jewish law stated that a self-incriminating statement could not be used to convict someone and sentence him to death. They had also switched their accusation from the false accusation that he would destroy the temple to the false accusation that he had blasphemed God. Illegal men hearing illegal witnesses in an illegal court, in an illegal place, at an illegal time, had just sentenced Jesus Christ to death for a crime he did not commit. Filled with hate, some of the Jewish officers spit in Jesus' face, blindfolded him, struck him, and slapped him, mocking and insulting him by saying, 
You are the Christ. Then prophesy to us which one of us just hit you. By now, the sun had risen. The members of the Sanhedrin quickly assembled in their official capacities to take the decision they had already made and make it legal. Many of the members of the Sanhedrin had obtained their offices illegally. That night, they broke the law requiring members who were enemies or accusers of the accused man to dismiss themselves from the trial. Even some of the men who had bribed Judas to betray Jesus were still part of this group that would decide whether Jesus was guilty and deserved to die. The Sanhedrin also broke the law requiring at least one member to serve as defense for the accused. The law required each council member to hear, investigate and examine the facts, deliberate and then vote one by one. Instead, this group was acting as a mob. These Jewish leaders, who were not even keeping their own laws, were accusing Jesus of breaking the law. As soon as it was day, they condemned Jesus to death. But fearing the multitudes, the Jewish leaders sought to turn him over to the Romans so they would not be responsible for his death. They changed the accusation to treason and went to the Roman governor. News spread throughout the crowded city that the Sanhedrin had condemned Jesus of Nazareth to death. This was shocking for more than one reason. Jesus was respected by many as a teacher from God. So it shocked them that this would happen to such a good man. In addition, yesterday there was no trial. And yet before mid-morning, the entire trial had taken place. The verdict had been reached. The most severe punishment was chosen, and the Jewish leaders were on their way to the Roman leaders. And all of this was happening on the day before the first day of unleavened bread. Some Jews were stunned. Some were suspicious. But everyone wanted to know what was going to happen to Jesus of Nazareth. When the news reached Judas, he felt tremendous guilt. He went back to speak to the chief priests and elders in the temple. But they were no longer interested in what he had to say. He had betrayed Jesus to them. And that was all that they needed Judas for. Now they were focused on pressuring the Romans to torture crucify and kill Jesus, and to do it soon. Judas took out the 30 pieces of silver from his money pouch. This money had seemed so important before, but now it was a horrible reminder to Judas of what he had done. I have sinned and betrayed a man who was innocent, Judas said. Now he's going to be killed. That means nothing to us, said one of the priests. You deal with it. Grief, anger, 
and guilt flooded Judas. He threw the pieces of silver down and they scattered across the stone floor. His eyes flashed in anger and without a word, he stormed out of the temple. Later, overcome by sorrow and self-pity, he hung himself and died. Even though he had committed a terrible act, Judas could have repented of his sin and turned to God. But he still allowed Satan to influence his thinking, to absorb him in his own feelings and his own suffering. The priest picked up the silver and decided that since the money was used to catch and kill a man, it couldn't go in the treasury. They decided it would be righteous to spend the money on charity, so they bought a field that could be used as a burial ground for strangers who had no place of their own. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.